Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Another edition of Skates and Plates After Dark. It's freaking midnight again. Calgary is my new official least favorite city in Canada. (laughs) But we'll deal with it because a big win for the Jets, 5-1. They take the series 2-1 over the weekend. Least favorite city, Calgary. My new favorite person, though, one of my old co-workers at TSN 1290, he's going to join me to break down this mini-series against the Flames in just a second. Also, we at the Hockey Podcast Network are super, super excited to welcome in a new show. It'll debut in early April. It's called We're All Crazy, hosted by longtime pro sports exec Eric Hewson, sports business reporter Darren Ravel. And NHL legend Theo Fleury. It's it's a pretty big trio there. A really unique discussion on mental health and sports and society with some of the heavyweights in the sporting world. And Eric and Darren were gracious enough to stop by to talk about their podcast and the important issue that's mental health. So that's coming up later in the episode. But you're here for a breakdown of three straight for the Jets against the Flames. And to help me dive into the action, making his long-awaited S&P debut, the one, the only, the sasser himself, Sean Asur. What's going on, buddy? Brandon, happy to be here, man. Big fan of the show. I've been listening since the first epi, and uh, you're doing a great job. And excited to be here, excited to break it down, excited to talk food. Let's do this. All right. Well, yeah, we've been trying to make this happen for a while. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I wish we could have done this on, on slightly earlier terms, but we'll make do <laughs> here with after a late one against the Flames. We'll get into that in just a sec, uh, but before we were talking, before the episode, you mentioned we had Ujira on and, and Chef Ed last Friday, and you had something, I mean, you go to Ujira all the time, you said, but there was something you wanted to bring up? Well, I just, first of all, what a what a character-sounding guy, yeah. Chef Ed. I mean, what an absolute gem of an interview that was. I mean, how do you not just want to support that guy just from that interview alone, let alone his unbelievably <laughs> delicious food, but... My buddy, like my buddy, took me there one time. He said, "You have to try the ramen. It's incredible." I was like, "Okay, yeah, like, sure, you know, good. It's really good sushi, but yeah, let's sit down and try it." And I tried the Dan Dan noodle ramen. Have you tried that at all? Yeah, I could not. I had ordered a second bowl, and then, and then in between the two bowls, I did a round of sushi, and I left there. You know, sometimes you leave a restaurant like there's no regret, but you're like, I shouldn't have ordered that like you know i shouldn't have ordered oh, yeah. whatever and, and that no regrets sitting on my couch after like just it, in bliss thinking about the dan dan noodles i've tried to make it a thousand times i can't it's never figure gonna it happen. out i can never figure it out for the life of me can't do it and so i just trust chef ed and uh you know you gotta brave some you gotta brave some some lines and some waiting time when you go there because that yeah. place is packed lunchtime you know but as soon as I heard you had him on and I listened to the interview, I was like, man, this, this guy's this, the, the whole thing with the pork broth and how he triple boils the, the bones and he uses the, the first the first broth for the pork one. Yeah. But the other one, I was just like, this guy is incredible. He, he lost me at second, third broth. I think there might have been a fourth and fifth that he didn't want to 
divulge some of his secrets on. It's, yeah, it, it's an absolute beauty. The double ramen order is something that I had never heard of. So I'll give you props for that, for just, you know, throwing caution to the wind and, and going all out on that one. I, I haven't given that one a go, but I, I've, I've definitely thought about it in the past. So that might be my next move there is to go maybe, uh, I, I know my wife likes the seafood one. Maybe go like mm. spicy to start and then seafood as a bit of a palate cleanser at the end. And we should mention, and we're going to try to have her on uh, sometime in the near future, but a uh, little Manitoba flavor coming up to Top Chef Canada for, I, I think it starts in a couple weeks or so. Yeah. But Emily, Chef Emily, down there at Deer and Almond, she's going to be one of the competitors. And she's no, like, she is, as far as competitive cooking goes in Canada, one of the elite, elite that is out there. So huge, huge hopes that. A Manitoban chef is going to possibly take the top chef crowd. So, so, Brandon, funny story. After I listened to your interview with the chef from Deer and Almond, me and my fiance booked a, a tasting menu there. They were they were opening oh, up yeah. for Rezzo's again. So we we went there. We went there for my birthday, actually, a few few weeks ago. Happy birthday. And Thank you. <laughs> it's a ter- terrible time. Yeah. <laughs> Everything hurts. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so we met Chef Emily. We had a chat with her for a bit. And then they like kind of like gave her like the full speech throughout the restaurant, you know, pumping up the crowd. Everyone was clapping for her. So, yeah, it was really cool. And I, we, I was pressing her. I felt really bad because I know that they have to sign those, uh, those uh, non-disclosure agreements, yeah. right? Those NDAs. But I was like, okay, so like how intense is Mark McEwen? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, he's, uh, he's intense, but he's really nice. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And like how much time do you have in the – and she's like, well, we have a lot of time, but we don't have a lot of time. I was like, okay, I see what's happening here. Yeah, I get it. Like, I get it. it. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to the just a great way for Winnipeg <laughs> to cap off that series. Man. And it was an interesting three games for the Jets because you go back to, I guess it would have been Friday night. They pick up the win. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the most outstanding of efforts by the Jets. You have the Saturday night game to follow. I would say that was more you're a victim of the schedule at that point. They've been on the road for forever, a back-to-back. The mm-hmm. Calgary team that was pissed off from the night before. And then the Laurent Brassois debacle happened in the third period there. <laughs> so there's going to be games like that throughout the season that happened. So I was really intrigued to see how the Monday night finale, the, uh, the rubber match, would go. You yeah. have the lineup shuffle. The forwards are put into a bit of a blender. And then it wasn't starting the world either, but the Jets kind of get their sea legs under them and I guess eventually take it to the Calgary Flames pretty, pretty easily. So I'll just throw it to you, Sean. What were some of the things that stood out to you from the 5-1 win Monday night for the Jets in Calgary? Uh, So first of all, let's talk line juggling. You see the line rushes, you see the tweets, and you're like, oh, okay. What an embarrassment of riches Paul Maurice has that he can not only swap his two top centers, but now he's taking his top winger and he's flipping him into the middle and he's, you know, yeah. to, to shelter PLD. And you're like, okay, like maybe let's see if one of these lines could get going five on five. Now, you know, it's, it was a bit of a challenge seeing them over the past few games scoring five on five. And wouldn't you know, both lines <laughs> score five on five. And it was really interesting. I, I really liked the way the Shifley Ehlers Connor line moved. I thought they were reading off each other extremely well. It took a little bit of time to get, you know, that whatever you want to call the Wheeler-Stasny-Pierre-Luc-Dubois line. They kind of picked it up as the game got going. But, yeah, Hellebuck had to make some big saves early. I have written down here, Monaghan, Anderson, Goudreau. I mean, like, he had to make some pretty uptight bomb saves. And then you get the the Thompson goal, and you're like, okay, is this going to be – reverse they called it a goal on the ice good breakdown by the analysis on tv and then it's a goal okay fine you get an ugly one to kind of tie the game settle the team down and then from an ugly goal to the like the polar opposite like just an absolutely gorgeous two-on-one execution from kyle connor mark shifley puts the game uh puts the jets up 2-1 and then what they just never really look back you kind of saw the to make a terrible pun, the flames fizzle and flicker and and just whatever like, flames do when they yeah, go out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then you just kind of saw the Jets take over. I mean, all four lines contributing. Nikolai Ehlers, I mean, I you I know you're a big fan of his yeah. listening to the show, but I mean, 
who in their right mind in an NHL game goes, okay, I'm going to cut into the, the offensive zone. I'm going to fake a drop pass. I'm going to kick that fake drop pass up to myself, go wide, and then pass it back to the guy who I faked the drop pass to originally, and he's going to score. Like, how in the – like, you played higher hockey level than me. How the hell do you do, you do that? <laughs> like, I end up in the third <laughs> row if I attempt something yeah. like that. I mean – and we'll get to Nikolai Ehlers in just a second here. He was just ridiculous again. He's been ridiculous all season long. And, I mean, he's been this team's best player, in my opinion. 100%. Pretty much since game one of the season. You know, I was a little surprised that Paul Maurice shook up the top six. Mm-hmm. You know, even with the results of the game, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of, of how they went with the lineup. I mean, I, I look... If you're going to put Nikolai Ehlers and Mark Scheifele together and play those two 20-plus minutes, I'm okay mm-hmm. with that in theory. Mm-hmm. But I, I do wonder if, as we move along here and, and get into the playoffs eventually, if you almost need to separate those two and have them on different lines. Like, you don't want to the old law of diminishing returns here. Mm-hmm. They've been your two best forwards all season long, and I don't see why that's going to change anytime. Moving forward here, I I just think you might be best suited having those two on different lines so you can have a bit of a two-pronged attack there. Plus, mm-hmm. I do have my concerns. I, I don't love Shifley and Connor together from a defensive standpoint, and they were out there on the ice. The, the whole line, they are out there against for a number of, of pretty high-quality chances, and, and you made a good point that Hellebuck, it might be a different game if Hellebuck isn't ready to play right out of the get-go because it was highlight real save after highlight real save <laughs> for the first 10 minutes or so, right? So I, I'll be intrigued to see if this is a one-off or is, is this something Paul Maurice is going to kind of continue to go with as we move forward here. A couple huge games against the Maple Leafs <laughs> on Wednesday and Friday night. So we'll see. I'm not going to be shocked if, I mean, you, you pull off the two points, you go with the same lineup that you had in that win against Calgary. But I'm, I'm just not a huge believer that this is going to be the, the go-to lineup when the Jets hit game one of the postseason against whoever they're facing. I think you have to assume Calgary's done now. They're not climbing their way back into this race. That's insane. So the Jets took care of business. We can say that moving forward. I'm not sure what the lines are going to do. You know, like it'll be interesting to see if he puts Pierre Luc Dubois up against Austin Matthews again. That is what something I'm going to be looking at because of the playoff history between the two of them and how we absolutely dominated them. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And and what I, I didn't really think of. I'm just kind of used to to Paul Maurice just throwing Shifley out there <laughs> against whoever the number one center is on the other team. So that's an option for them. Toronto's they're, they're an interesting team because especially compared to Edmonton and Montreal where they all, all like Edmonton, you're more worried about the one line Montreal. It's a four line attack. So you kind of almost have to maybe switch your lines up entirely for them. Mm-hmm. But with Toronto, you can go super heavy and the jets load up their top six Toronto loads up their top six. And you would think that I would, I mean, you'd have to give the, the edge to Adam Lowry's line against, the Kerfoot line out there in Toronto. So I, yeah, I, I don't know what Paul Maurice's move is going to be, but I do wonder if we see a bit of a shakeup, at least going into the Wednesday game with first place on the line. This isn't the, uh, this isn't the time for tinkering and experimenting. So I won't, I won't be shocked either. if Paul Maurice goes back to what he's most familiar with. Now you brought this up uh, earlier on your little breakdown there. Nate Thompson's goal. Yay or nay. I'm going to say yay. I could see the nay, but I'm going to say yay. It's like yay-ish. It's definitely yay-ish. You see the leg extend. There's no hiding that, right? But, like, is it a kick or is it just kind of like an extension for a redirection? Like, I don't know. I'm not going to, like, I'm going to say yay. And I think the being a call on the ice helped a lot. That's probably why it stood. My my Mm. guess is Flames Mm -hmm. Twitter was not having the call. They were not happy what's I and I don't I don't know. It's weird. I don't blame them. I think we'd all be in agreement with this. If our team scored the goal, you're like, that's a good goal. If it goes against you, you're like, that's a cheesy, greasy rule and you gotta change it. And that's not how hockey should be played. Yeah, like I'm sure Jets Twitter would be equally forgiving yeah. if that was against the Jets. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But- exactly. I had a it was a pretty fun conversation on Twitter during the game. 
And it happened, uh, I believe, in the second period. Jets penalty kill. Nate Thompson breaks his stick. And all hell breaks loose for the next 90 seconds or so. <laughs> and this has kind of been a ongoing debate in the hockey community for some time now. A little bit more new school, I think, as opposed to how things used to be. But our old buddy Michael Remus tweeted a poll out. <laughs> of course, of course he did. Of course he did. Saying, if you break your stick on a penalty kill, do you either go to the bench, get a change, or get a new stick? Or do you just stay out on the ice, keep it a five-on-four, but it's five-on-three-and-a-half sort of a deal, and, and you just try and deal with it the best that way? Do you uh, do you fall into a certain camp there, Sean? I, I, guess, I guess technically I'm old school. I, I You stay on the ice and you block the shot. You try to block the shot, right? I mean, you, you know that you're going to try to expose the guy with the missing stick as well, right? Like you're going to try – any power play is going to isolate the guy with a broken stick. So I guess in my – you just got to have to gut it out and hope a shot hits you. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that, Sean, because I just completely disagree. Really? Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is something that's driven me nuts. For, really? for a long time. So you think it's a complete detriment to be out there without the stick, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I've always I've always thought that if I ever coach whatever age of hockey team, <laughs> I, I, I just can't wait for the lesson of you break your stick, whether it's on a penalty kill or even five on five. I don't really care the scenario. Mm-hmm. Just come to the bench and either get a change or get a new one. I, I've just I've I've always thought that's the way to go. And I get it was the long change too. So you know, yeah. maybe there's a little more hesitation as well. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But you're just dead in the water. Like, you're useless out there. Yeah. So if you're useless out there <laughs> and you're going to be hemmed in for 90 seconds, <laughs> why not be semi-useful and you're only five on three in this situation for at most five to seven seconds, something in that range? And then you get the stick and you're back into the play. And you would think that, hey, we could probably kill off a five on three for five seconds. Like, it's not ideal either way. But to me, I would rather have a guy eventually be somewhat useful a couple seconds down the road as opposed to everybody hanging on for dear life. And you have some, you know, some stickless idiot out there just diving and swatting that pucks left and right. <laughs> He's just secret servicing it, just diving in front of shots, just yeah, trying to get exactly, it. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's Kevin yeah. Coster and bodyguard. Like I I don't want I don't want diving for bullets. I want clearing the puck out of the zone. Well, leave it at that. I guess we'll just agree to disagree in this scenario here. <laughs> now I do want to get to the man of the hour, maybe the man of the season for the Winnipeg Jets in just a second here. But Sean, first, grab your peanuts and popcorn. You know why? No, why? Baseball is back. Oh. Teams are getting back out on the diamond this week. Last year's season was different, but that doesn't mean it lacked excitement. And this year is poised to be even better because DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a free shot at a share of millions of dollars in prizes. If you haven't tried yet, fantasy baseball is super easy to play. You just pick 10 players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for hits and runs, strikeouts, a ton more. No better way to put your baseball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars throughout the week. If baseball isn't for you, though, no worries. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this weekend's tournament as well, with the Masters set to get underway shortly. And with millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now. And use promo code THPN to get a free shot at a share of the millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Nikolai Ehlers. Three points. He's climbing back up near the right around the top 10 in NHL scoring, doing so with by far the fewest minutes of anybody sniffing the top of the leaderboard. I saw this posted on Twitter. My apologies. I forget who kind of first brought it up, but I kind of laughed it off. I was thinking, ah, you know, Jets fever, people getting a little 
a little too into it, drinking the Kool-Aid a bit too much. But as we've gone on and on over the past few weeks, I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe they have a point. And that point was, is Nick Ehlers the best winger in the North Division this year? He's for sure the most exciting to watch. I mean, anyone yeah. who watches the Jets regularly sees him do things that just regular NHL players, even elite NHL players, just can't do. Like, not that they don't do, they can't do it. Like, it's insane what this guy does sometimes. I mean, you knew the points would come, right? You know, first it was the playoff production, and then it was his ice, you know, whatever. You knew that this would eventually happen. You knew everything would click for Nikolai Ehlers, and he would just start to dominate games. And we're seeing that this year. We all saw the flashes, and, you know, he put together runs, and then he would go a little cold, but... Ever since day one, like I covered the train, the, the development camp where he was at for our old employers. And the minute this guy stepped on the ice for the first time, I can't remember who I was sitting with, but I turned and I said, I've never seen anyone move like that before on the ice. And I, you know, we, we'd seen plenty of Jets practices, plenty of NHL caliber game day skates and whatever. And I'm just like, I've never seen anyone glide the way this guy moves on the ice. And it's just, Ever since that day, he's just enamored me. He's incredible. His speed, his decision-making, his creativity. I mean, it's all coming together right now. He's not a big guy, but he's extremely fast. He's deceptive. He's, his lateral quickness and movement is unmatched. I mean, his cuts into the middle this year, like you've just seen him when he enters the offensive zone, he makes these cuts, and guys don't know how to stop him. Like it's it's different than McDavid because it, McDavid is just straight line speed. McKinnon is straight power speed, right? But the but Nikolai Ehlers he does things in a weird kind of like serpentine style where he's just kind of all over the place and his vision is exceptional. I love him where they have him on the second power play where his old buddy Patrick Laine kind of used to be the top left where he kind of loops. Yeah, and Pionk just kind of hits him as he's looping with speed and he just cuts into the zone. Uh, into the slot part of me, and he's either he has insane passing abilities for guys with their sticks on the ice to tip in, or he's got that wicked wrister, which is, you know, I I hate I hate to rip Nikolai Ehlers, but he's starting to hit the net consistently. That was one of the knocks on him for a while, and it was warranted. I mean, he missed the net a lot. He's starting to find his range, and the bullseye is getting hit way more often than it used to, and it's just so incredible to see what this guy is blossoming into. And, you know, everyone talks about underrated players around the league. Watch number 27 on the Winnipeg Jets. Tell me who's not the most, one of the most underrated players in the league. Definitely the North Division. And he's showtime. The guy is absolute showtime. Yeah, he's, it's just been a ridiculous run all season long. Human highlight reel. You're, I mean, we're kind of running out of superlatives to throw yeah. out there. And, you know, it's funny because I was talking with, with Hustler uh, last week, and I mentioned how I think Winnipeg fans are getting a little bit spoiled when it comes to Connor Hellebuck and high-level goaltending, that you, you almost become numb to it to a point. It's, it's so and, I, and I'm worried that it's almost starting to become like that with Nikolai Ehlers, where he has a night like he had last night, and it's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> that that's, that's kind of the norm around here. We're used to 27 flying all over the ice. He's a megastar. He's not even an all-star anymore. Like He's vaulted himself up into the upper echelon of the entire NHL. It's a really interesting debate because it really comes down to two wingers in the North Division who you would crown, and it's either him or Mitch Marner out there yeah. in Toronto. I, oh man, it's... I You know, if you would have asked me this a couple weeks ago or, I mean, before the season, I would have said, yeah, no doubt about it. Give me Mitch Palooza all day yeah. long. 100%, 16 all the way, right? Yeah, even with the ridiculous cap hit that he's carrying. But now it's, I don't know, it's pretty tight. And I, I know there's still a, a gap point-wise between the two right now, but Mitch Marner's playing 22 minutes a night. Nick's still around 17 minutes a night. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I might still lean towards Mitch Marner just a I tiny so. bit. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But it's close, man. I I just I never thought this would have been a debate coming into the season. There there was talk of who's the best winger on the Jets, and I think the hipster pick was let's go with Nikolai Ehlers. Yeah. But that's been blown out of the water, and the fact that we're talking about 
You know, is he the best winger in the division? Is he one of the best wingers in all of hockey? And we'll see who stands tall on Wednesday night and then Friday night as well. Maybe that'll be a bit of a defining chapter in the best winger in the North Division battle between Marner and Ehlers. A couple more points I want to get to quickly here because we're somehow running out of time already. <laughs> the Flame series is done. Two games against Toronto. Do you have any predictions? Any things you're specifically looking out for? When the Jets face the Leafs? You don't want to trade chances with Toronto, right? I mean, you just you don't want yeah, to. Unless you want to lose. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, unless, like, unless you want to get in the L column, right? So, I mean, you just kind of have to – I mean, they got, their top six is deadly. I mean, well, there's nothing – there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, you're going to have to be sounding your defensive structure. I mean, and you talk about this a lot. I know you do, but – the, the Jets, they, they got to improve on their puck moving from their back end. So I think it all starts with their, when you're playing these elite top, like, you know, essentially the top team in the division, the top team in the division, everything's got to be crisp. So it all starts in the back end. I, need, I think their defensive game needs to be sound. Just move the puck efficiently. Don't waste opportunities. Don't let Toronto transition off stupid turnovers in the blue line where you're forcing a pass backwards. Get the puck on net. Test the goaltending. Who, like, we don't know who's starting. I, I assume it's going to be Jack Campbell. Uh, yeah. do, they give him, do they give us Freddie? Like, do they put Freddie well, in there? I mean, they're all, they're all kind of dealing with some injuries right now. I know right. Freddie's like, out, like, and I Hutchinson don't know. Hutchinson played tonight. <laughs> like, yeah. That, <laughs> who would get that, right? Yeah, Hutchinson that versus Hellebuck for first in the division? Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Jets were a little fortunate that they played the way they did against the flames and that it was the flames mm -hmm. because Calgary's had trouble scroll season long. There's going to have to be much sharper play in the defensive zone. When you go up against the Maple Leafs or else they're going to make you look silly. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that too, I also think Calgary's a much stronger defensive team than Toronto. So there's going to be some <laughs> yeah. opportunities for, for both clubs going, uh, going each way, but to give the Leafs some credit, you know, they held the Oilers pretty well over their past two games against Edmonton, the two overtime mm -hmm. games, but they didn't give up a whole lot to the Oilers and, and to McDavid in particular. So I would love it to be the way the last time these two teams met when the Jets played, in my opinion, their best game of the season yeah. and that win in Toronto on, on Saturday night a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that was but a fun one. again, it's it's the old litmus test. We're, we're going to see where the Jets truly stack up. And it comes at a really interesting time as well because the trade deadline, we're getting into days away territory instead of weeks away territory. Do you have a, a bit of a wish list for Kevin Shevel day off come trade deadline time? Is there a name or two that piques your interest? Well, it's just like, what What do we need to give up to get Matias at home? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm all, yeah. I'm all on board, right? We've seen this guy enough being in the central division, like, we just see how effective of a defenseman this guy is, right? I use the word effective because, like, he's you could he's not a big he's not a big hitter, he's not a big shot. You know, he just does everything well. He doesn't have like one or two factors to him that he he's everything everything the guy does is so well. He's a great puck mover. Again, I I, I feel like I'm disagreeing. I, I mean, I am agreeing with you on everything, but I feel he'd be a tremendous compliment to Josh Morrissey who I'm, once again, Brandon, in your camp, he's he's had a rough season, and yeah. he needs he needs someone to help him on that top pairing, not just be there with him on that top pairing. And I think a Matias Ekholm is a perfect, perfect fit for the Jets. There's some familiarity he has being in the Central Division. It would be hilarious that when they revert back to the old divisions, if he's still on our team and he gets to go up against Nashville next year, that would be fun. But... Strictly from a playoff perspective this year and a trade deadline, we got to get this guy, whether it's the first and a couple big prospects. I mean, who's off limits? Hanola, Sandberg, Chisholm? Who, you know, yeah, I, I wouldn't even throw Chisholm in there. You think, you think Chisholm's on the table? Yeah, and I, I'm a big fan of his, and I, I think there's, I think the NHL's in his future. Uh, and then obviously Perfetti's a no go. So yeah. you have those yeah, three that exactly. you Oh, yeah, there. and Perfetti. Yeah, and Perfetti. 100% yeah. Perfetti. Yeah. So. I yeah, I've been all on board for Ekholm right from the get go. There's one key glaring, uh, glaring hole right now with the Winnipeg Jets, and it's on that top pair, and it's somebody to play with Josh Morrissey and Ekholm. To me, is about as perfect a fit as you can get. 
Mm-hmm. My prediction, if they do end up making the trade, and I, I do believe the Jets are the front runner for this, I think it's going to be the first round pick. Apparently, Nashville's in on Sammy Niku, which which perfect. I'm all on board with. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I think it's going to be a first round pick, Sammy Niku, and Christian Veselainen. I, I think that's some. I think I think that's fair value. Maybe that's the dream scenario for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either with the way that he's played of late. If David Poyle is going to ask for Logan Stanley to come back the other way, um, that that's a that'll be an interesting discussion as we move forward here, as he gets better and better with each game. But ultimately, as long as Sandberg, Hanela, and Perfetti remain with the organization, yeah, I'm okay so- with giving up the first round pick and then pretty much anybody else that's on an ELC or anybody else that's a prospect. Yeah, I completely agree. You eat like. Even uh, even if it's a Jan- – would you give up a Jansen Harkins? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm really intrigued, and we'll see if a forward or two is added. I mean, Kevin Chevalier tends to make multiple moves at the deadline, mm-hmm. so I don't think it's just going to be at Coleman. That's it. Don't be surprised if there's a move or two to be made as well. Uh, but that's all the time we have, man. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, you mentioned that you listen to the podcast, which I greatly appreciate. I love so- it. You know more than anybody that when somebody comes on, we always close out our talks with this question here. And I'm very intrigued to see what your answer is going to be. But when it's Jets Leafs on Wednesday night and it's 6 o'clock, 6.30, (laughs) and you're getting ready to chow down, what's the ideal game day supper in the Asor household? Okay, so I've thought about this question far too hard today. No, you didn't. (laughs) Not hard enough. (laughs) Great point. So I'm going to ask you a question in response to your question. Okay, are we talking? Are we talking an order? Something I cook or snack? Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, I I normally don't get this thrown back at me uh, because I don't I don't prepare it enough. I'll I'll let you whatever comes to your head first. Just first thing that pops into your head. How about I take you through the ringer? How about I go all three? I love it. That's even better. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm ordering something, my if I'm going to order my personal favorite thing to sit and watch a Jets game, this is going to be. I'm going a little off the board here. I'm going to order a nice dim sum platter, like a spread of dim sum. Wow. It's user-friendly. You can lay it out. You just kind of pick and dip as you go, right? You dip it in your hot sauce, your soy sauce, your vinegar. I like it. Right? So that's what I'm doing. I'm going to lay a huge spread of dumplings and steam buns and just get way too fat. Okay? (laughs) I'm on board. Yeah. If I'm cooking, game day's got to be ribs. That's my opinion. Ooh, okay. Take a rack. You go half wet, half dry, right? So you get a little variety. Interesting. I've got my rib routine down pretty good. I don't. I haven't gotten into smoking them yet. I was gonna say, yeah. I haven't gotten into smoking yet, but that's next. But I, so I, we're, I we're talking just oven here. Yeah, I tent them. I wrap them individually. I cut them into about four or five sections. Wrap them in tin okay. foil, low and slow tin foil for about three hours. Take off the tin foil, and then you put them in the broiler. So then you crisp them up on the outside, and then you sauce. So that's my ribs. Now, if we're going nice. snack, now if we're gonna go snack, I've got my own holy trinity. Okay, okay. Yeah. So if I'm gonna go snacks, just gluttonous game day snacks, I gotta have chips. So then in my chip category, it's either Ariba Taco, the orange bag, Miss wow. Vicky, Miss Vicky Salt Vin. Yeah. Or Cool Ranch Doritos. That's a good. That's a good trio right there. So you have you have, you have the number three. one chip, which is Miss Vicky salt and uh, salt and malt vinegar. But go ahead. Yeah. So that, that's always in the cupboard here. That's a big staple in yeah. our household. Now I gotta go M M&M and M peanuts as well. Get my chocolate in there. Okay. That's my all time favorite chocolate snack. M M&M and M peanuts. So you got the chips, the M M&M and M peanuts, and then I gotta throw in for the to, to, to complete the trifecta, some candy. So if I'm going to go maybe some dino sours or some wine gums, something nice and chewy and sweet. And there I'm going to sit there and, and just indulge and watch the Jets pump the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm, I'm sure right now your dentist is listening to all this and going, I, I can't wait to see and book Sean for his next appointment because I can get that second cabin out there at Lake of the Woods that I've been looking at for a while. I have furnished many a dentist. Yeah. <laughs> 
cigar room. Yeah. Bought them jet skis. You name it, right? Some dentist has a Monet up and it's just based on my molars. You know what I mean? Like, Love it. I love it. Hey, that was that was one of the, the best answers we've gotten so far. I, I love putting the homework in and thinking about <laughs> it. So I, I knew you wouldn't disappoint there. You totally brought it. And you brought it this entire episode long. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today, man. We'll have to have you back on sometime soon, okay? Always a pleasure, man. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. It's been awesome. And, and you know, you're doing a tremendous job oh, also shedding, li- shedding light on the local restaurant scene in the city. It's such an unbelievable food city. I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. And like much like everything else, Winnipeg, it kind of flies under the radar. But, I mean, some of the best eats around are in this city. And some of the best people behind these restaurants, they've been hit so hard by this god-awful pandemic. I mean, you're doing a great job. And you've inspired me to go to a restaurant. So I'm sure you're doing the same for oh, others. Thanks. So keep up the good work, buddy. It's, it's, a, it's a great, great project you have here. And it's awesome. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. Sean Asor from TSN 1290 back in the day. Thanks, Sean. My pleasure, buddy. Take care. Now, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but a new show is coming to the Hockey Podcast Network in early April, and I'm super excited to have these guys on right now. All right, a really exciting, important podcast is just about to get underway on the Hockey Podcast Network. Some huge names in the industry, and it's about a conversation we need to have more of we're all a little crazy is the name of the podcast and super happy to have on now Eric Cusin. He's the founder and CEO of We're a Little Crazy, as well as Darren Ravel, sports business reporter, as well as senior executive producer for Action Network. Eric and Darren, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Thanks so much for having, for having us. us. Yeah. Now, I was talking with Eric before you got on, Darren, so we'll just have a little bit of fun quickly here. A lot of people don't like the instagrammers the food picture takers in the restaurants right before they eat a meal i hear you kind of uh are one of those that breaks the cardinal rule is is that true you you love to take pictures of whatever it is that you order i don't believe that's a cardinal rule (laughs) i think i think i think the rule is you take the picture before you eat it uh or you tweet it before you eat it uh because people are like oh this is good like halfway through and then it's too late i think the cardinal rule is you don't take a picture of it and then not eat it and say it's great a lot of we're not looking we're not looking for fake people around here i was once at a knicks game i was sitting in the third row and there was this pretty beautiful girl in the front and she took a picture of her mr softy ice cream and uh you know then and said it was so good and uh, she did not have one lick confirmed so, you know, that that's what we should have a pet peeve. <laughs> I did not know people like that existed. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Oh, they do. Well, let's get started here. Eric, I'll, I'll toss the first question to you. I know you've spent two decades in the pro sports biz. Can you just explain how you went from that to starting? We're all a little crazy. Sure. I think anyone who works in the sports business and is fortunate enough to get in early you feel like you're working your dream job. And I certainly did for that 20 years I was in it. And I got uh, my most recent position with the Florida Panthers and six months into my tenure there as chief revenue officer. The only way to describe it is shit hit the fan. I mean, my brain, my body just stopped functioning. And I didn't know what it was from. I tried every type of psychotropic drug combination. You can imagine 50 different ones, TMS therapy, ECT shock therapy, and none of them worked for me. And ultimately ended up healing through things like breathing practices, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, something that we collectively call star exercises. And it was the realization of how we're not talking about this as a society, or how our nonprofits are not talking about it, how our media is not talking about it, that gave me the desire to jump into this industry. I like fixing things. Um, So certainly that was a motivation for it. And I saw that there was a lot of fixing that was needed. And it gave me greater purpose than anything I ever did in the sports industry. That's no disrespect to people who are still in sports. Again, I loved every day of it, but this just gives me a higher purpose. And Darren, I know that you're a a big part and I believe a part founder as well with the, the hashtag same here movement. Can you just discuss how you got involved with Eric? Yes, yeah, so I was coming up on uh, 40 years old and kind of felt like I had not done anything substantive of charity and uh, uh, needed to be done with enrichment myself and tried wanted to do something that could really save lives. 
Um, I'm not a, a doctor. I'm not someone who would volunteer, you know, to be in an ambulance. Um, so I started going through everything that I could do. And I didn't want it to be just about raising money. I wanted to actually feel like I was saving lives. Uh, so when I saw Eric's story, I was like, holy hell, this is crazy. Uh, and this is a great idea. And I think through someone who goes from a blank mind to goes to his, like the mind he has now is the mind that made him a chief revenue officer. It's, it's, it's come back to him. So, you know, very few people can lose it and then reach a point, thank God of such clarity again. And so I thought of him as a leader. Um, and I realized, um, that I had my own mental health struggle, um, actually, that started in 2010 in Vancouver at the Olympics while I was on the air over 25 days and knew I wanted to tell my story at some point, but first I wanted to work and do presentations. And, and uh, uh, it was honestly very uh, soon that I realized in two and three hour presentations when kids are not looking at your phone that you're immediately saving lives. And that's been uh, something that's really been special to me. And Darren, I just came across an article you wrote last year for Action Network where you kind of, you know, delved into your story, your relationship with anxiety and how, I mean, especially over the last year as well, things have become even more amplified with the pandemic. Can you just touch on on what you wrote about there? And then you mentioned some tools that people could use as well, because that's what it seems like now. It's an important conversation always, but it's it's gone to another level over everything that's transpired over the last 12 months. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, you know, there are warning signs that things aren't great. You know, Eric found out through breathing exercises and the fact that he had some PTSD from other things that had gone on in his life. I think we're, we're all a product of the experiences that we have that lead up to the moment and understanding that, um, you know, through a whole bunch of therapy helped me to realize that, because of, you know, situations with my parents or, you know, over kind of um, parenting, you know, that I had uh, just reached a point of where I was anxious about specifically medical and health stuff to the point where I wasn't healthy. And it's unlike a cut, right? Like it's, you, it's, it's not you know, like you're bleeding, but you are bleeding in a way. And, um, and, you know, so I was just at a point where I, I had, I wasn't anxious on air, I was never nervous in my entire life. It's funny that it's the same word, right? In my entire life, I was born with the gift of never being nervous. But I had reached a point of anxiety thinking about other things and the cycling in my mind um, that, you know, just drove me, you know, insane. And, you know, I, what I, what I want to encourage people to do is to practice, work on their mental health constantly and talk to therapists as a normal course of action. Um, and, uh, you know, I, th I think that in, in COVID people have looked inward because they don't have the relationships with people. And I hope that a lot of people, uh, because they don't have that tactile kind of outward relationship have found it within themselves to get, to get healthy inside their head, because without that, there's nothing. And Eric, I love the line here uh, from your promo, the podcast, which we'll get to in just a sec. Uh, the first episode, the debut episode, going to drop soon. But this topic isn't for one in five of us with mental illness. It's for five in five whose mental health has been impacted. And I think that's a really powerful, profound statement. Yeah, and even, you know, Darren sharing his story and, and the term anxiety came up. The incessant focus that's, you know, I, I mentioned before when you were asking me why I started the organization the problem was there was such a focus on disorder and label, right? And so if we keep hearing one in five, one in five, one in five, 20% anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, even from the, the most popular athletes and celebrities in our world, guess what that does? It moves everybody else, meaning the four and five, the 80% of the people to not listen to the topic because I'm not in that category, right? Like think about, I can guarantee you, I can make a same here sign to you right now, Brandon, that you've been through challenges in your life that have impacted your mental health. 
it just doesn't feel like it's gotten to the point of anxiety or depression, right? That's that's the 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 end game piece of it, unfortunately, where a lot of us end up at, where I ended up at for so long. And I think what's going to make this podcast fun, the reason why I love working with Darren, the reason why I love working with someone I'm sure you'll ask about Theo Fleury, you know, NHL great, is because much like sports talk, like I see the three of us right now having a conversation, right? On sports talk radio, you'll bring up a topic and the topic will be, should our team have signed this particular player? Did they spend too much on it? And the talking heads are going back and forth. We spent too much or we don't have any more room left to, to sign someone else. Darren, Theo, and I are not going to take this topic in a way that's like, tell us your story. <laughs> okay, how did you heal, right? Like, that's been done before. And I'm not knocking that, that that's not an important piece of education. But there's also a piece of this that needs to be entertaining that needs to bring people in and get people to think in a different way they thought before and challenge their intellectual curiosity to say, why the hell are we as a society talking about it this way when here's this similar topic related to health that we talk about in a completely different way and we've been able to nail that one and help people out and we're not doing that with mental health right now. What's going on in our government? What's going on with politics? What's going on in sports? What's going on across all these industries that the message isn't getting out the right way and we still have these terrible trends? So you mentioned Theo there. Can you touch on how, I guess, that connection took place? And you, you use entertainment there. I'm sure he's going to be a, a big part of bringing that aspect as well, right? Theo doesn't hold anything back. Yeah. You know, I think that that's the fun part about Theo. He, he says what's on his mind. So the quick, the quick skinny there is when I realized that we needed a change in the way this conversation was taking place and that we couldn't have a disorder focused, I looked at the athletes who had shared at that point. There wasn't many. So this was the middle of 2017. Theo had 10 years prior. So, I mean, you're talking about a pioneer in the space. He's really a pioneer in the space. But the angle that he shared from was not, I'm Theo Fleury with major PTSD or with chronic PTSD. What he shared was, I'm Theo Fleury who I was raped as a child at 16 years old over 150 times. I didn't tell anyone about it. It stayed, unfortunately, within me as a secret. It made me lead towards all the vices in the world from sex to drugs to alcohol to gambling to everything. And I ended up with a fully loaded pistol in my mouth about to blow my head off when my career was over. That's a story. That's a lived experience that people can relate to, whether they've been raped or they've been taken advantage of or they've had some type of trauma. It doesn't matter what it is. People can relate to that. So Theo, I reached out to, believe it or not, of all things on LinkedIn, and it shows the type of guy he is. He said, you got 15 minutes. Get in touch with my assistant, Don, who's still his assistant now. And Theo and I spoke, and I, and I always give Theo this credit, as if I had the right to ask him this question. I said, Theo, uh, I want to make sure I'm working with the right person that I'd be launching this idea of an alliance all coming together with. Um, would you give up your favorite NHL goal to save someone's life? And he said, no hesitation. He said, Eric, I would give up my Olympic gold medals and my Stanley Cup ring just to change one person's life. I played hockey, I believe, to have a platform to be able to save people. And that's the type of person that Theo is. What can we expect with episode one? Can you let our listeners know when it's going to drop? Sure. So right now, first week in April, we'll get you the exact date, Brandon. I, I think for right now, I just encourage everyone to go to the the um, any podcast network where they listen and, and look up. We're all a little crazy uh, to listen to the promo episode. Um, the reason why we don't have the exact date, Brandon, you'll like this, I think. Back to the whole sports talk idea. We want to react to things in real time. So that first episode and everything moving forward from there is going to be based on current events, right? And I, and I think you saw on LinkedIn, Brandon, the recent one within the last day is you had Brett Favre, you had the coach of an Italian uh, league soccer team, and then you had a major coach at Alabama all come out with mental health stories on the same day, and yet no one is piecing these things together. Compare that to AIDS when we started talking about AIDS. Compare that to cancer when we started talking about cancer. Compare it to COVID right now. When celebrities talk about these things, we piece them together and we say, see, Tom Hanks, he has COVID, right? We're not doing that right now with mental health. And the question is why? There's so many things that we're not doing that we can be doing to save people's lives. So I know a long answer to a short question there, Brandon, is going to be the first week in April. But at the same time, we don't want to give the exact date just yet because there's some things that we're following along with 
Vincent Jackson Reeson's death as an example, that these things are they're top of mind. They're important. We can't let them go by. You know, we lost uh, Keyshawn Johnson's uh, daughter. All these questions related to things that are just out there. How did these things happen? We want to be able to address them in real time. And furthering it all with uh, just real talk, not hyperbole, not things that you've heard before. Um, I think the 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 listener is going to be comfortable and uncomfortable, and that's where we want to that's where we want to keep it. And Darren lives that in his tweets. You know, I I, I think I'll give Darren credit in this way. Not many people with a national platform are willing to tweet out things that, hey, media, we're doing things the wrong way. <laughs> He's a member of the media. And he's saying that, right? Um, or taking an unpopular opinion where he's got people who are, let's say, bros of another group. And 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 when you come out and you share your stuff that we're all going through, oh, I don't go through anything. What are you talking about? You're crazy for bringing that up. That's not me. He's willing to use his platform and his voice to get that out there. When he talks about being uncomfortable, that's what he's talking about. And the only way change happens is through discomfort. We have to make people uncomfortable because if not, the same trends are going to continue. Awesome stuff, guys. Really excited for the start. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, early April. Episode one of We're All a Little Crazy is coming your way. And it sounds like absolute must-listen stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time, Eric and Darren, to join me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Well, that does it for another episode. Big thanks to Sean Asur for joining me way too late, helping to break down Jets' flames and look ahead to Jets' Leafs coming up later this week. Eric Hewson and Darren Ravel as well for stopping by to talk. We're all a little crazy. We're back on Friday. I'm super excited to bring this your way, Jets fans. Eric Howarchuk, son of the late, great Dale Howarchuk, will join me. We're going to talk about Howarchuk Strong a great charity. It's doing a lot of awesome work. They've got an event coming up in the city. It'll be nice to talk about that and just check in and see how the Howard Chucks are doing. So we got that for you guys. Another great food interview is coming your way as well. And we mentioned this a couple times, but first place in the North is up for grabs. Jets Leafs will go full bore into game one of their two game mini series. But once again, I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. We're back on Friday. Peace.